to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Finishing up, uh, I think we have one more week of our short series on following Jesus and fishing for men. One more week after this. But our theme verses have been Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 22, which is on the top of your uh, Sunday school handout this morning. And so, of course, we've been emphasizing the idea of not only winning people to Christ, but the point is that Jesus took three years to make disciples out of the um, the disciples. <laughs> and uh, so they didn't, you know, they when he said to them, follow me, and then you notice on your handout, of course, that I've said this a few times, but uh, the highlighted remarks that Jesus made, I will make you to become fishers of men, and they followed him, and that's been the theme to all of this. And so I think we're, our entire Christian lives, we are becoming fishers of men. You know, we come to know Jesus as our Savior, and then we are to grow in the faith. And um, um, just from a, you know, a, a every, if you've ever been a fisherman, you didn't, you had to learn how to fish. And just like everything else, you learn the techniques and and all the routines that go along with it, and uh, the right kind of bait, the right kind of line, the right kind of um, pole to use and so on and so forth. And so the same is true with regards to our faith. We're just growing in the Lord and learning more and more about Him each day and each week and each month and each year. And uh, we are all becoming and continue to become fishers of men. And so that, of course, has been the theme. So if you notice uh, on your handout this morning, uh, underneath our theme verses, uh, well, let's have a word of prayer first and, and then we'll get started. Lord, we ask that you'd bless our Sunday school lesson this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would guide and direct all that we're about to do and all that we're about to say. Thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity to be here today. And uh, just bless in a great way. Be with those who may be away this holiday weekend. Give them a good time of um, vacation or visiting with uh, friends and family. Uh, but bless our services, both here uh, in the auditorium and then downstairs the Sunday school uh, lessons that are being taught, be with each teacher, and then the junior church hour to follow. Just to give us a great day today, Lord. Help us to leave this place sensing that, Lord, you've accomplished your purpose in our lives. In Jesus' name, we ask and pray all of these things. Amen. All right, so you notice under our theme verses, uh, just a few things here. So it is no accident that we live in this present hour of human history. And I, and I mean you personally. I mean, that's the plan of God for you to be here. Uh, that was the plan from the beginning of creation. God knew that you would be here, and um, that's the way God planned it. And uh, there I have quoted here um, the words of Mordecai to Esther, uh, such a time as this. Esther would become the queen, and uh, she would... Uh, she would rescue God's people uh, from wicked Haman. And it took a very brave act of that young woman to do what she did in order to be used of God. And uh, so we're here. We're here to be used of God. That's really the theme uh, with regards to this morning's Sunday school lesson. 
There's another verse in the Bible that I preached a whole message on many, many years ago. Out of 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 22, it says this, And the children of Ishakar, which were men that had understanding of the times. And that was the theme to that message. They had understanding of the times. And um, to know what Israel ought to do. And that was, uh, you remember the account in the Old Testament where David was at Siglag, and it was the transition that was about to take place from the kingdom of Saul to the kingdom of David. And Saul at that time was hunting down David. Um, but many of the men from the various 12 tribes began to gather around David. And because these, this particular tribe, it was said of them, these men understood the times. They understood what was going on. And so it behooves you and I as disciples of Christ to understand just what's going on in the world around us. And that's part of being a, a disciple that can be used of the Lord. And the disciples would learn, as we have seen in previous lessons, these three years that they spent with the Lord uh, as He was um, explaining to them who He was and why He had come and then explaining to them what their role would be after uh, He left and was crucified and ascended into heaven. So God has a plan and purpose for each of our lives that we should think about and that we should endeavor to fulfill. We've been reminded that fishers of men involves far more than winning the lost to Christ. It involves building people up in the faith. So our first scripture I just want to look at, and the theme really this morning, as you can see on your handout, is the whole idea of eternal life. Eternal life. So you can either look on your handout or turn in your Bible. When we get to the points, I'd encourage you to use your Bible because while I've put these verses under each point, we're going to look at some verses before each of these and a couple of times even after to see the whole context. But in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, the Bible says this, And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. I was speaking with one of our seniors that can't make it out to church any longer because of health issues. And when I call this person, they're always very positive on the other end of the phone. And I remarked to them that they were positive. And she said, well, there's no, there's no point in not being positive, she said. And um, so, uh, and I said to her that she's always an encouragement when I call, you know, because you could, with regards to her circumstances, she could really get down. I had, in fact, this is on another account, I went to see B up at the hospital or up at the nursing home the other day. And so B is going to be in rehab for a while. So. I said to her, well, B, just think of this as like you're going to summer camp. And uh, so she liked that. She thought that was kind of funny. And um, anyhow, so this other person I was talking to, they, they were very encouraging, and, and I tried to encourage them. And, and then we kind of ended the conversation. The reality is we all, one day, uh, we're going to take a step from this life into the next. But we're all going to live forever. We have eternal life. And... Um, We're reminded of that. This is the record. That this is something that the Lord always wants us to be thinking about. And the older that you get, the more you think about it. This is eternal life. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. And he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you, 
that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you know that you have eternal life and that, you, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. Eternal life. You know, in James chapter number 5, uh, the Bible says, uh, what is your life? It says there, but, but a vapor. And... Um, it goes on and it says this in James, James chapter or James chapter four and verse uh, number thirteen. Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year, buy and sell and great get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. My uh, daughter and son-in-law and my other daughter, Hannah, they had uh, a young woman really in their church. I think 47 years old. She had gone in for surgery and, and I may have this wrong, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I think she, she had a blood, top, a blood clot break off and was it a brain aneurysm that killed her? No, so she, she went out, I think, to the mailbox. And she's 47 years old, very involved and active members of the church there. And um, she just dropped dead. So we don't know, do we, from one day to the next? Only the Lord knows. You know, I think it was David in one of the Psalms that said, there's only a step between life and death. And boy, so true with this young woman. Um, so that's the sad part of the story. The happy part of the story is she's in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she's going to live forever and forever and forever and forever. And the reality is every human being has eternal life. It just depends where you're going to spend it. In heaven or you're going to spend it in hell. But we have eternal life. And uh, we should always be thinking about that. But we're, we're here for... I mean, have you ever, have you ever thought about just... I mean, sometimes I do this. You just sit and you think about eternity past and eternity future. I mean, it's kind of hard for us to grab that or grasp that. I should say, not grab it, grasp it. I mean, to think, you know, we think of, we read the creation account in the Bible and, and we think of, of that, but before creation, there was eternity past. You know, it's kind of beyond our, I think it's beyond our comprehension. You know, what, what was God doing before uh, he created humanity? Um, we'll find out one day, won't we? I guess it's not for us to know until we're, we're with the Lord. And then we think, you know, the great old hymn, um, when the trumpet of, no, uh, yeah, the great old hymn, uh, yeah, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. We were created in time. God, God exists outside of time. That's part of the lesson today because we're talking about eternity. But it's pretty mind-boggling when you think about eternity. The, the phrase, by the way, eternal life is found 11 times in the Gospels. It's found um, 25 times throughout the New Testament. So we're reminded again and again and again of eternal life. The word eternal is found 42 times in the New Testament. Eternal, eternal life. The word everlasting in the Bible is found 
almost a hundred times. 97, I counted, it might be more, but at least I counted 97 times. And the Bible talks about not only eternal life, it talks about eternal or everlasting fire. It talks about the everlasting covenant, everlasting priesthood, the everlasting righteousness, the everlasting remembrance, everlasting love, everlasting joy, everlasting kindness, the everlasting foundation, the everlasting kingdom, the everlasting king, the everlasting God. There's more than there, there's more than just this life. Amen. And uh, we're just here for a short while. Um, though I read this quote this past week, I thought this was pretty good. This is kind of tongue-in-cheek from former President Ronald Reagan. He said this, there is nothing so close to eternal life on this earth as the federal government's programs. <laughs> That's true. Once they start a program, they just keep it going and going and going. Spend the money or they won't give us the money next year. You know, that's just the way things work. But let's just take a few minutes this morning and think about some of these things. The first one is this. We're reminded uh, as, we, as we grow in our faith of the fact that we put our trust in an eternal God. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 33. Deuteronomy 33. And these are some of the, really the last words that um, we find here with regards to the children of Israel as they go into the promised land. And the last words here uh, uh, where Moses was used. But if you will, pick it up uh, as we read this in um, Deuteronomy chapter number 33 and verse number 26. There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun. Let me just stop there for a minute. Because this one really perplexed me this morning. This is something I just learned. Does anybody know? What do you mean the God? Who is the God of Jeshurun? Anybody know the answer to that? I didn't this morning. I had to look it up. It's, in fact, this is kind of found, I think, four or five times in the Bible. The God, who is the God of Jeshurun? I'm probably butchering the way that you pronounce it correctly, but Jeshurun. Hmm. Well, all right, so you're perplexed too. <laughs> and I thought, well, why were they, what are they talking about? Who's, well, the, the word Jeshurun, it's a poetic name for Israel, the nation of Israel. And um, it, if you study it out a little bit, and I just did a very, very little bit, it's a poetic name for Israel. It means upright and righteousness. And it's found several times in the Bible. But you notice here the distinction that's being made because when these words were written, there were all kinds of gods in the world. And the writer Moses here, or being inspired, of course, by the Holy Spirit, he's, he's making this distinction that the God of Israel, there's no other God like the God of Israel. And... Um, he goes on and he says, Who rideth upon the heaven in thy help and in his excellency on the sky. And then verse 27 here. The eternal God. 
is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Boy, it's good to know that God will always have you in His hands, always have you in His arms. Amen? He'll never, what is that verse in, uh, in John chapter 10? Uh, My Father gives them unto me, and I give you unto you eternal life, and no man shall ever pluck them out of my Father's hands. Those are great verses of, of, of assurance that we can never be plucked out of God's hands. But the words were spoken here to Israel. They spoke of the eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say, destroy them. Israel then shall dwell in safety alone, and the fountain of Jacob shall be upon a land of corn and wine, and also this heavens shall drop down dew. So the Jewish people, the Israelites, would be talking about the everlasting God. Now just think a little bit about the importance of that to the Jewish people. I mean, what was their history? So this part of the Scriptures teaches us they go into the promised land and God gives them the promised land. But what would happen later on? You tell me, what would happen later on? They would lose it, the promised land. In fact, they, they would, and they would turn to other gods as well. And uh, the whole book of Judges is about that. They would serve God and then they would stop serving God. And then they would serve God and they would stop serving God. Um, but, but later on even, there would be the Babylonian captivity. And for 70 years, they were removed, many of them from Israel. And, but all that time, they would remember that their God hasn't, he still, they still have a God. He's the everlasting God. And he doesn't change. And so, the disciples, as they became fishers of men, they would learn this. What got Jesus in trouble with the Pharisees when they wanted to stone him? Because he said to them, before Abraham was, I am. And they said, how could that be? I think they said, you're not but 40 years old. And so then the, the disciples who were learning to become fishers of men, they were coming to an understanding that this Jesus whom they're following, he's eternal. He didn't just, he wasn't just born in Bethlehem. He existed before that. And uh, the whole idea of, of the everlastingness of God. And as I mentioned before, God, he's, he's, about, he's outside of, of time. My daughter Hannah and I were sitting on the porch the other day and we were just kind of thinking of things, scriptural things out loud. And uh, we were thinking about time. And, uh, and of course, in God's eyes, all of time is like a second. You know, we think of all the history of time. And sometimes, and I'm, this is, I'm not dogmatic about this, so let me, let me, sometimes I think maybe all of time happens just like that. Understand what I'm saying? Like all of human history, boom, it just happens. And, uh, but we're in the, we're in the, um, the realm of time. But God's all outside of that. You know, I can see you're really interested in that. <laughs> but I, I just, uh, the whole idea of God being outside of time is fascinating to me, anyhow. Um, but his eternal absoluteness, um, we're in the temporal, that he's in the eternal. 
Moses would say this, Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, Thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art our God. So they would be distinguished. He would, God would be distinguished from the pagan gods this way. The God of Israel and the God that you and I worship. He's the everlasting God. Um, then we think of the fact that, and you can take your Bibles now and go to Joshua chapter number 1. The disciples, as fishers of men, they would learn with regards to the eternal power. Uh, Romans chapter 1. So, Romans, I'm sorry, Romans. I just finished reading Joshua in my devotions. That's probably why I got Joshua in my mind. And it's the next book after Deuteronomy. Romans chapter 1. So when we did our other series, whether it was the parables or the miracles of Jesus, we saw Jesus had power over nature, had power over sickness, he had power over death, and um, all of these things. So in Romans chapter 1, um, pick it up in verse, I think it's verse 16. The Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Now verse 20. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. The all-powerfulness of God. The disciples were learning that when, with regards to Jesus. As they walked with Him and they were, they were growing in the faith, they, they were learning that, the power that He had. Uh, standing at the Sea of Galilee, even the wind and the sea obey this man. But in my mind, the most powerful thing that Jesus does, the most powerful thing He does is He changes people's lives. He changes their lives. And I think that's more powerful than calming the ocean. I think it's more powerful than, well, it, from a spiritual sense, He's raised the dead. But he changes people's lives. It's just amazing uh, that Jesus does that. And all of you, when you came to know Christ as your Savior, your lives were changed. I mean, me personally, I was on one. I was on going in this direction, which is running about as far away from God as you can. And then God changed that. And then my whole direction changed. And then I wanted to run as close to God as I could. That's, that's power beyond, I think, what we can comprehend. God does that. God changes people's lives. And 
Here, as Paul is writing this, he's talking about there's things that God does that man can't see, but man can see the results of what he does. I mean, what when Jesus stood aboard that ship and he calmed the sea, no one could see the the power itself, but they could see the results of the power. When he raised the dead, no one could you can't visibly see that. It's like the the, the gospel in John where it says with regards to the Holy Spirit, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But you, can't, you cannot tell whether it come or whether it go. So the reality is, none of us in this room have ever seen the wind. We've all seen the results of the wind. And the power of God is like that. It's amazing, His power. That He could just change lives like that. Um, and He used the creation in order to do that. And the power, the power that God has in each person's life, the, the disciples would see that. And there was examples of that. Uh, we didn't study this, but um, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. He was reprobate. He was a terrible man. And he came to know Jesus as his Savior and his whole life changed. Someone challenged uh, Dr. Harry Ironside to a debate. Dr. Harry Ironside preached in the 1930s and 40s, maybe the 1920s as well, and uh, they were an eighth, they were atheists. And in that debate, he said, uh, a lot, or maybe it wasn't even in the debate, he said something like this. He said, "I'll tell you what." He said, "You." Here's the challenge. I'll gather a hundred drunks that are no longer drunks because they converted to Christ. You gather a hundred atheists that are no longer athe that are no longer drunks because they they're atheists now. Well, he couldn't do that because there's no power. In, well, I guess there is power in atheism, but it's a demonic power. So the power of God, the eternal power of God. And, and that's one of the wonderful things to know that our salvation, it is truly eternal. It's everlasting. It's never going to change. Because we have an eternal God and God has eternal power. And then, let's move on to the third point here. The Bible speaks about, and you can turn now to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We have an eternal house. God has provided us with an eternal house. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in verse 1, it says this, for we know. There's that word know again. Okay, God always wants us to know. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life and he that hath not the Son hath not life. These things are given to you that you may know that you have eternal life. It's a surety that we have. But you and I, as we go through this life, we know that we have an eternal house, an eternal home that's waiting for us one day. And Paul writes here to the church in Corinth, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. A house that's not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I like what Spurgeon said about this text. He said, our clay cottage will come down, but our heavenly mansion is ready to receive us. 
this, this body that was formed out of the dust of the earth, this is only temporal. But we're going to have another body that's eternal. And what a blessing that is. And these, are, these verses are meant to be an encouragement to us. Look at the preceding verses in, in, in chapter number 4. Verse 14, he writes and he says this, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause? We faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Well, I'm glad of that verse, that each day your salvation and the grace of God is fresh and new, just like the day you got saved, because the body begins to wear out, doesn't it? The older that you get, you find, <laughs> you find that out. It just wears down, but not the grace of God. It's fresh and new every morning. But the reality is, well, look at verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, and we go through afflictions in life. Grief. We go through pain. We go through suffering. We go through sickness. We go through the trials of life. It's just a moment. And we're to remember that. That's like the uh, our, one of our members who I was talking to, I was mentioning, we were, we were talking about these things. And the reality is, yeah, she's not doing well, but it's just for a moment. It's just for a moment. And... In the realm of eternal life, our whole lives. That's what James was saying in James chapter 4. Our life, it's just a vapor. It'll be gone before you know it. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not on the things which are seen, but on the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen, they're eternal. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle. These verses are supposed to be meant as a, an encouragement to us. Verse 2, chapter 5. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Verse 4. For we that are in this tabernacle, this body, we groan, being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up in life. Eternal life. We have an eternal God. The disciples would learn this as fishers of men. And He has eternal power. And there's an eternal house that's waiting for us. And that's a wonderful thing, a blessing. A building of God not made with hands. So then, if that's the case, it's both then the duty and interest of every sincere and serious Christian to labor for the certain knowledge and full assurance of this privilege. That we would know the certainty and assurance and confidence. That's why Paul would say in Philippians chapter 1, he would say this, for to, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now I know a lot of people we don't, People sometimes they just don't like to talk about death, but for you and I, and, and there's the and I understand there's the grief and the heartache of death. It's how God made us. We're, we're, we're mindful of that. But for the the reality is to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
That's why in the early days of the American missionary movement, missionaries would go to the mission field and the life expectancy often was four and five years. I mean, Judson buried two wives on the mission field. And they didn't expect to live long. They were like taking, you know, uh, they were like, here we are celebrating the 4th of July and we think about our freedoms and we think about the many militarily who sacrificed their lives so that we can have the freedoms that we have today. And uh, if you've ever seen, you know, documentaries or films about when the Americans, for instance, went into Europe to liberate Europe and you see the carnage on the beaches there and men not even getting out of there, I mean, being killed, just mowed down, but just continuing to move forward. Uh, their lives were, were quickly ended. But the missionaries were the same thing. They, it, was like a, it was a spiritual battle that they were facing. And uh, there's all kinds of, if you've read any accounts of the missionaries, you know that to many of them, they, they, they lost their lives very young in life. But for them, it was just a moment. Just a moment in time. Because they had a certainty. Paul would say, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better, notwithstanding, to abide in this flesh is more needful for you. And that's why he could deal with everything he did. Shipwreck, um, imprisonment, starvation, beatings, stonings, and he kept going. Don't, you know, if you've ever read, the, and that's just a couple of the characteristics of, or uh, examples of what Paul went through, but if you read about his life, and the life of others, most people would have quit after the first time that they were imprisoned. But he just kept going and going and going and going and going. Because he knew he had an eternal God with eternal power and eternal house. And he knew that we'll move into the next point quickly, the eternal glory that awaited him. Look at, look at our next point. In fact, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Beginning of verse 7, something like these are some great verses in the Bible. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And then Peter reminds us of this, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the, in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in you and your brethren that are in the world. But now look at verse 10. More about the eternality of God. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory, by Christ Jesus, after that you've suffered for a while, make you perfect, established, strengthened, and settled you. To Him be glory and dominion forever. The eternal glory of Christ Jesus. You know, I don't, I'm not sure we understand even what that glory is. Uh, again, we have some understanding, but God has promised an eternal glory. Paul would write in Romans, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Or, or John would write in 1 John, uh, 1 John chapter 3, he would write that when we see Him, we shall be as He is. And that will be a whole different world. Amen? And so, 
That's the promises that God has given to us. And then lastly, because we've run out of time, God has given each of us an eternal purpose. And quickly go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. So as we've just taken a few moments this morning to think about the fact that we have an eternal God, that He's got eternal power and shares that power with us, we have an eternal place waiting for us in heaven, we have the eternal glory that we're going to share with the Lord, and He's going to be there. But He's given to us an eternal purpose. And in Ephesians chapter 3, pick it up in verse 7 as we finish here, it says this, Wherefore, Paul says, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now, this is a really cool verse, by the way, this next verse. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Those phrases there, the principalities and powers, those are talking about spiritual beings. I'll read this because who could say it better uh, than Spurgeon with regards to this text. He said this with regards to verse number 10, that even the angels are learning from us that the saints will be a lesson book in which the cherubims and the seraphims will read with astonishment the wisdom and love of God. This was the eternal design of the great Lord of all, and He will not allow His purpose in any measure to be thwarted. So as we go through life and we endeavor to fulfill the eternal plan and purpose that God has for our lives, even the cherubims and the seraphims and the living creatures and, and all of the beings that the Bible speaks about, they observe and they watch as we fulfill this purpose, obviously with God's help and by God's power and fulfilling God's purpose, but the blessings of God. And so we should be thinking of that each and every day. Are we fulfilling God's purpose for our lives? What is our eternal purpose? God's got a plan for us. We, do we ever think about that, that purpose that God has? Because eternal life, it's not coming. If you're saved, you're experiencing it right now. We have eternal life. It's not a future possession um, or not a future promise. It's a present possession. We have eternal life. And um, it's just that one day, either Jesus is going to come back and He's going to call us away in the rapture or we're going to die and we're going to go and be with Him. But the disciples would learn this. This is, this is all becoming a fisher of men. And th this would... These truths in their lives would help them to grow in confidence in the Lord and to then be sent out into, the, into all the world to preach the gospel. And then for many of them to face martyrs' deaths. Tradition tells us Timothy, or Thomas ended up in India and, and was killed in India for the gospel's sake. Tradition tells us that... Um, Peter was hung upside down on a cross when he died. And I don't know, these are traditions. Whether these are true or not, I, I'm not sure. Uh, but we have some historical record. Uh, I think it was Andrew was taken up into a, pin, into a tower and he was told to recant his faith. And if he didn't recant his faith, they'd throw him off the tower. 
Well, he threw him off the tower. He wasn't going to recant his faith. And none of these men, they weren't, there was no money for them to be made. There was, they weren't popular by any means. They were, they were looked at off the off-scouring of the earth. They, they just, the Apostle Paul, he was his reward for serving the Lord. He would be boiled in oil on the, on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, Paul would be beheaded. And this was a man who once had all of the, the prominence and position that life could offer at that time. But he put it all, he said, I count it all but dung that I may win Christ, know him. Why? Because they knew that they had an eternal God with eternal power and an eternal purpose and an eternal house. And they knew that this life was just meant here to serve the Lord. Amen? That's my... Sunday school lesson for today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus. Help us to live for you each and every day. In his name we pray. Amen.